0: Hello all, and thank you for tuning in to The You in Youth by Sohail Dhala. The You in Youth is a new podcast funded by the National Reach Coalition in hope to raise awareness of the stories of the youth between the ages of 18 to 25. The National Reach Coalition aims to help underserved racial and ethnic communities achieve health equity, and we hope to use this podcast as a way to build resiliency through unity among the youth by sharing the impact COVID-19 had on us. If you are interested in being interviewed on this podcast, please reach out to me at sdalat at email.arizona.edu. That's spelled S-D-A-U-L-A-T at email.arizona.edu. This is the first episode of The You and Youth, where we will be interviewing Miriam Eras, who will be talking to you about her experience during COVID, how it has affected her and her family, she is a student at the University of Arizona, and she has a lot to share.
1: So Miriam, can you please tell me a little bit about yourself, um, who you are, and kind of what your life was a little bit before the pandemic, and how it kind of changed after the pandemic hit?
2: Of course. Um, so my name is Miriam, as Ohio mentioned. I am going to be an incoming junior at the University of Arizona. I am majoring in neuroscience and in management information systems. When the pandemic hit, I was in the middle of my second semester at the University of Arizona. I had experienced at least one semester of what my college life should have been like for the most part. And then after spring break, we were told that the university was closing. Uh, Before the university closed, uh, everything was really easy to manage in regards to social life i feel like i was able to make friends even though i'm not from town i was able to basically establish myself within this new community and feel welcomed in this campus but then after going into online courses was a bit of a challenge for me because i learned better by being hands on and being in person than i do virtually i feel like a lot of us lost our focus lost our motivation and lost our purpose for the most part. When we did get to come back to campus in the fall for my sophomore year, the classes were still online. So that was still hard for me to adjust to learning online, but I was still able to see some of my friends. Luckily that I had made my first year, however, I worked on campus and I saw a lot of first-year students that were not able to make friends and felt lonely. And I felt there was a lot, there's a rise in depression and anxiety. And a lot of people decided to go home most of the time. So the campus felt empty because a lot of students weren't here. And a lot of students that couldn't establish themselves or feel part of a community would go home instead.
1: So as a student, you felt that a huge Factor that affected your school was COVID that had a huge impact on your school life and your social life, is basically what you're saying, correct? Correct. And so, how about in other regards, whether it be can you tell a little bit about maybe your background and maybe how COVID has affected your background?
2: No, yeah, of course. So, um, I'm originally born and raised in Mexico. I moved to the US when I was 11 years old. But when I moved, I moved to a border community. Um, I'm from Yuma, Arizona. Uh, Yuma, Arizona has the demographics of m- majority of the people are Hispanic. We have other minority people as well. Um, and a lot of the, so- the people there, their economic status is pretty low. Um, in the middle of the pandemic, the facts were that Yuma was one of the top cities in the country with um, a lot of COVID cases. I felt it was hard for people to be educated on the COVID virus and the precautions that we should have taken. I felt like Tucson was a little more prepared or had the resources to warn the citizens because Tucson has the university and the university, you know, reaches out to the community and like lets them know about everything. As in Yuma, most people did not believe in COVID or were not educated enough for it or just didn't have the resources to be able to, you know, avert those crises, crises. The thing about that as well is that most people in Yuma go to the hospital in Mexico. They go to the doctor for their check, for their appointments, for the checkups, for a dentist, for optometry. So I felt like it would have been harder for someone that uh, was that was sick with COVID to go to get emergency help in Yuma, because they they thought that instead they had to go to Mexico and Mexico didn't have the resources for that. So I felt that a lot of people felt the COVID virus heavier in Yuma and in other border regions because there was a lack of um, resources to be able to help these people. And sometimes they don't want the help because they think it's going to be very expensive, which it is the healthcare on this side of the border is a lot more expensive and it's inaccessible to people with low income and little to no resources.
1: So, so you're saying that as you get closer to the border, the resources are much more limited and there's a lot harder to access the healthcare. Can you talk a little bit more about that? If you don't mind, uh, tell me a little bit more about what resources were there and what challenges arose and what could have like, what could be brought, what resources could be brought to your community to help that, um, to not have those challenges?
2: Yeah, for the first part, I'd like to give you some background about the schools in Yuma. So for the most part, most of the schools in Yuma are Title I schools, which means that they are free or reduced lunch. So maybe if you don't qualify as an individual for a free or reduced lunch, that's one story. But the whole school... Because the majority of our population comes from comes from low income um, population, then everybody in the school gets a free lunch. And in in very little school, it's just about re- reducing the lunch prices. But everywhere else, it is free lunch. So in that, you already know that our community is struggling, um, and it's not most that the resources are not there. There is a big hospital there, and it has many branches. The problem is that people don't have enough money. They cannot afford health care because health care prices are way too high for the wage that they're making. They're not getting paid enough. Their minimum wage jobs cannot sustain a life where they can feed their children. They can pay for their rent and other bills as well as health care. So most people go without health care and instead decide to cross the border and go to Mexico to get health care or anything else that they need. So that's the main thing. I would say that um, it's it's a systemic issue more than, oh, we don't have resources. It's that a lot of people in high school, I don't know, people are like, well, you made it through high school and that's the biggest expectation people have of you. And I'm like, hey, are you going to go to college? And I think it's a little sad to see that not a lot of us are able to see beyond our uh, community college. Most people, I wanna say that I graduated with over 500 other students and maybe eight of us came here to the University of Arizona, maybe 30 to uh, Arizona State University and maybe five to Northern Arizona University. So that is less than 50 people out of more than 500 that made it out of the city. And I feel like that is something that I've always thought about that um, it's not only that we're not, encourage as much is that we're not giving the education for it I didn't feel as prepared as everyone else when I showed up here even though I was taught to be one of the smartest people at my school I come here and I feel like I'm very behind everybody else and I feel like it starts with our education and then eventually it starts with how we see our community and our community is satisfied with working low income like low income minimum wage jobs Where if they're not satisfied, then they're just not giving the opportunities to move up the social ladder.
1: So you were saying that you had a hard time already with the transition and the pandemic made things a lot harder, which caused a lot of anxiety and depression. So can you talk a little bit more about how you feel that this pandemic has really hurt the students and what we can do or what can be done to help the students kind of get through this as the transition is already hard and the pandemic has made things harder?
2: Oh, of course. So for that, I'd like to talk about my job. Um, I work at the University of Arizona as a residential assistant in a dorm. And as a resident assistant, I am supposed to help the students transition from their high school life into their college life by uh, providing them with resources on campus. So let's say a student is failing a class and they, t- they confide in me and they tell me about it, then I would uh, refer them to tutoring services like Think Tank or you know, I could help them find something else. Now, if a student is homesick, then um, I could take some time to listen to them and talk to them. And if they feel better after that, then I'll just keep on checking them. But if not, then I would have to refer them to you know, um, someone that can talk to them as a professional. And sometimes people can't find a way to fit in. So maybe I can ask them about their interest and I could help them find a club that's right for them. So that's usually what my job consists of. Now, this year, I felt it was even harder for me to do because everybody felt very isolated. I don't want to generalize, but that is what I was told repeatedly throughout the building when I would Ask students to not be bringing other students into their room because of COVID. We had a COVID strict COVID policy, and we did not want other students entering rooms to prevent the spread. And a lot of them said, "Well, how am I supposed to make friends if I can't invite them over to see my room or to watch a movie with me? It's just me and one other person. How am I supposed to make friends?" And I think that was the hardest part about my job this year is being seeing that that you know these people could not go off to find friends at clubs because all the clubs were online or some of them stopped being a club and, or they weren't recruiting new members because you know we did everything through Zoom and a lot of people weren't as interested in being a Zoom club. I know for my club, a, a lot of our new members weren't motivated to go to our meetings because they were all on Zoom and they didn't feel as exciting as they would have been in person. And I think primarily going into in-person classes is where you find friends the person you sit next to or like, you know, the third person on in front of you and another person on, across the room, you made a study group. And then from the study group, you guys became friends and you started and then you join a club together. And that's usually how it goes for college. And when you are not given the opportunity to one a tenant in class person and to be able to make friends within your dorm without all the restrictions, you know, it's a little hard. I, came across a lot of students that were very, very, very depressed. They said so they had no friends and they they wanted to go home. There's a lot of people that went home constantly. My students went home constantly because they missed their friends from back home because they weren't able to make some here. And even if I tried to help them find a club or something like that, it was still hard because COVID policies were very strict around campus. The only people that found some friends were people involved in Greek life. And even then it there was a lot of rules for them too. So, you know, it's it was just really hard for people to make friends. And I feel like uh, one of the biggest parts of college is developing yourself as a person. And, you know, obviously you have to, have to know, get to know yourself and to get to know yourself, you have to, you know, test what you like and what you don't like, such as different clubs, such as different friend groups, such as different classes and, you know, not being able to do any of that sometimes makes a person think, who am I? What am I doing here? Should I even be here? And that was really hard for me to see as someone that came in and had the opportunity to live at least my first semester as a normal college student. And I missed that. And I cannot imagine having come in my first year of college and felt so alone throughout the year. I it was just really hard for me to see.
1: Mm -hmm. And do you feel like the pandemic has kind of changed, but still there? Do you still see this ongoing sort of isolation occurring, or what do you kind of notice? Is it getting better? What are your thoughts?
2: Um, Well, right now we're in summer session, but towards the end, I felt like a lot of people were making a little bit more friends, but most people are just excited to go home and they're excited to come back. So one of the things I did as a resident assistant, I would uh, check up on my residents and do regular chats on my last chat. When I asked them what they were most excited for the next upcoming semester was that they were excited to be in in-person classes. They're like, yeah, I don't really like going to class in general, but just because it's in person, I'm excited to be in class for once. I'm excited to be at school for once because it means I will have friends and I'm excited for clubs to meet in person. And I'm excited for my new dance class in the fall because I'll be able to do it in person and I'll be able to make friends there. And it will be so much fun. And to see that everybody basically said the same thing, they're just excited for the fall semester because the fall semester will be mostly online. It tells me that these people have had enough. They've been isolated for way too long. And it also tells me that maybe their expectations are a bit high. And you know. It's still going to be a hard transition from online to in person now, because they have not experienced having to run to class in ten minutes in the heat, and they have not experienced having to catch the teacher before he leaves office hours, and they have not experienced having to go to uh, tutoring sessions in person right after class instead of just you know pressing a button and logging into the next session. I feel like it's going to be a big physical transition, but it will still be a positive one especially for mental health. I feel social life is very, very necessary for mental health.
1: The most definitely. And I do feel even in myself, not being able to surround myself with my friends did cause a lot of hardships throughout the year. So do you, as a RA, you were able to see that pretty often. Now, from your perspective, what do you see as potential solutions towards that? Or do you think that there could have been some things the university could have done a little bit differently or anything that maybe could have been done or resources that could have been provided for those students to be able to not necessarily feel that kind of isolation?
2: Well, I'd say that as an RA, it was also my job to, you know, organize events, call them programs for students to come. Though a lot of people thought it was lame so they wouldn't come so that one was really hard because I would spend maybe a week or two planning things and like maybe one or two people would show up and I'm like ah I went to the store and I bought all of this and I was so excited and I make all these posters for them to come but I feel like they would only want to come if they had already made friends Most of these we were making these so people could come and make friends and obviously you had to wear masks or we would be outside and some of them were fun and some people did mingle but For the most part, these programs used to work better when you had like three friends in your hall and be like, hey guys, let's all go down there. And when you don't have that, it was a bit hard. Now, as to what the university could have done differently, I really don't know. I felt that although the rules were very strict, especially in dorms and residence halls, they were necessary because there were, as an RA, I got to see a lot of people leaving the building to go to an isolation dorm. And you know what? I was in an isolation dorm myself. And it was not fun. I wasn't even there for the full 10 days. And I felt like I was in a mental asylum. And I felt very depressed just being there. And I guess just, you know, catching COVID. So you're not feeling well. And then you go there and you're isolated and then you come back. And then everybody else looks at you a different way. They look at you like, "Ooh, that person was irresponsible, and they have COVID. We shouldn't hang out with them." So it isolates you even more. And I felt there was a stigma around that, and I felt like that could have been addressed better by the university. But as to what we could have done to make people feel more welcome or feel more of as a community, is really unclear for me still. As we did try to make programs, but. It's that whole aspect of not being able to see other people in person. Maybe some classes, maybe everybody should have been allowed to have one in-person class where we all sat down in a grass with six foot radius around us. And the Mm -hmm. professor had a mic and it was only 20 people per class. I wish that we would have done at least that, that at least every person could have had one class where it was a small class of 20 people spread out maybe at, at the mall, out with uh maybe even 12 feet radius and then so have someone with a microphone being able to see other people although some people may be shy it still helps them in some way because it's human contact and we all need that no matter how intro or extroverted we are so we could have done that differently for sure
1: no that's that's a really good point and yeah no definitely i wish there was some kind of more focus on the students mental health in regards to socializing because yeah classes were shut down but gyms were shut down too a lot of the buildings were closed restaurants you know so it did not it did definitely cause a lot of disruption in social life so you definitely do bring up a good point so in regards to schooling that makes complete sense now let's go back to what you're talking about in your community and you were saying that COVID impacted the youth there as well. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Whether it be, uh, wh- wh- what was the lifestyle for the youth? Did they have jobs where you came from? Did a lot of the youth tend to have jobs or they're more focused on school? How did COVID impact them in general?
2: Of course. So um, I wasn't in my, I was only in my home from the beginning of the pandemic all the way up till August when I came to the University of Arizona. But what I saw then was that because a lot of things had to close down, a lot of the youth lost their jobs. Most of the people in my community that are in high school, they have part time jobs from sophomore year forward and they need those jobs. And uh, what I saw is that most people had one job. Now, the one job was to be a personal shopper at Walmart. So people were no longer going to Walmart to shop. Instead, they would basically order it online and someone would go someone that works in there, mostly teenagers, mostly people from high school, part-time people would go and they would put everything in the car for you and they would bring it out to your car and put it in your car. It was a no contact shopping. And that's the most the most sought after job that I saw because restaurants closed down. Most people worked at restaurants. Uh, some people worked for like city sports, so like parks and rec. Sometimes I have like little leagues and some the referees and the coaches and everyone else that worked parks and rec there was no more sports um there was a lot of things that were shut down and therefore like some of the only jobs that were there were to deliver things deliver food like rub hub and door dash and all that or work inside the store and um pack groceries i felt like uh everybody wanted a job but not everybody could get one and not only that but a lot of people were very fearful of this virus and a lot of them stayed home and they weren't able to work or they lost their job and couldn't get another one. So I feel like a lot of them were deciding to work many, many, many hours, if that's the option they had, or they weren't working at all. As it turns out to academics, I know that a lot, a lot of people that I graduated with and other people that I know in my community decided to withdraw from the semester and skip semesters. So I know that a couple of people decided to stop going until in-person classes return. And that is still their plan. That if in the fall, they're still online, they do not wish to go back to school because it is really hard for them to learn. So a lot of them are just working their part-time jobs as much as they can. They sometimes have more than one. And I feel like this pandemic has made them focus more on monetary issues more than in their education because Education was hard as it was for them and for me, um, but it's even harder when you have to learn online. So they're prioritizing other things.
1: Definitely, definitely. And so, so just to kind of clarify, so the two points that you primarily brought up were one, that jobs, even for the youth, were very important because they needed to provide for their family and um, that income was really important correct yes and also at the same time going to school was a big thing for them but however because of the pandemic and in-person classes shutting down a lot of them decided to not go to classes or to drop out of school correct temporarily until we go back in person
2: Correct. And some of these people are brilliant people. Uh, they were in my classes and they got the grade, same grades I did. So it's not a lack of motivation to go to school, but rather they just didn't feel supported and they didn't feel like they could learn online and you know, they felt their time could be used better by working.
1: Mm-hmm. So do you feel that there could have been other reasons why they may have not wanted to go in person to classes, whether it could be technological issues, Um, Did the social issues also play a role in high school, do you feel? Can you talk a little bit more about that?
2: Yeah, of course. So um, some schools give um, students maybe a little computer, Chromebook, or an iPad to take home, and um, that is good. But some other people people don't have those opportunities. So maybe doing online work wasn't... um, as ideal for them. And not only that, some people don't have internet, um, or they can't afford internet because they would just do their work at school and then come home. And they didn't have to do that. But now school is at home. And I feel like a lot of people just one didn't have maybe the technology that they needed, uh, such as Wi Fi or such as computers. And then it's also another thing about, you know, having lived your whole life being going to school, and then you know, your school schedule being dictated rather than being at home and be like, oh, I can choose whether or not to log into this class. I know that a lot of people have chosen to be like, oh, I'm just going to sleep through this class again and do it. I know that my little brother would be like, I don't have to go to that class. And if my parents weren't there to, to monitor him, then he didn't do it, you know. And that was just at the beginning. And then he understood that he, he felt that his classes didn't matter anymore because they were just online and he wasn't learning anything. He expressed that his teachers had told them that they were just going to pass fail them for the rest of the semester when the pandemic first hit. So if you tell a child that they're just going to pass fail as a security belt, then they're going to stop caring about if they got an A, a B or a C, because guess what? It all looks the same in the report card. And, um, Eventually, he got better, and um, this uh, this second year, in the pandemic being a thing, and he having to go hybrid school, he got three days. He he did well because he was able to go back in person at least twice a week, and see people and care about his grades. And because he had that contact with his teachers, you know, I think that Zoom doesn't give you a personalized education. I mean you can see your professor maybe you can hold back at the end of the zoom but in person it's just better because the teacher can walk around and look over your shoulder and see that you're doing well as I on a computer you can't do that and um I feel like it just it's a one-on-one it's a one-by-one basis it's not the same for everybody but um there's definitely been a lot of factors that have played into how youth have fallen behind in school and have definitely also fallen behind in their mental health because of social issues.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you, feel, you genuinely feel that that shift, um, as you were saying in your brother's story, from, you know, not valuing education as much to getting straight A's was having even that small bit of connection with his teachers and the hybrid uh, change in his classes, right?
2: Yes. When the pandemic first hit and I went home and he was just like, I don't need to go to class, I kind of felt like, wow maybe I don't need to go to class. I feel like that's a contagious thought to have, you know, especially here in university when you're like, oh, this lectures are recorded, you know, I'll just view it later. And and I feel like the I'll do it later mentality just really sets us back Mm -hmm. rather than being in person. And it, it forces us to pay attention because it's not recorded and it forces us to know how to do everything because you know what? We don't have Google search in class sometimes. Not every professor lets you have technology and it's just it's the reality. It's a very different. It's very dividing system of education between online and in person, especially when you are used to in person your whole life.
1: Yeah, definitely. I could even see myself getting a little bit behind because classes, a lot of them were recorded or there was in some ways a lot more flexibility. And really that motivation kind of took a hit, especially with not having that direct connection with the teacher. I do also see within myself and many others that having the connection with the teacher does really help and it's very lacking over Zoom. So thank you so much for all of that. The We're gonna wrap up soon, but before we end, I didn't want to get your thoughts on the COVID vaccine. Uh, did you feel like there were concerns that you may have had or people from your uh, community or from where you grew up or in general, what were your thoughts about the COVID vaccine and the concerns that especially the youth faced?
2: Of course. So as a scientist, I believe in the vaccine. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. Um, of course, I feel like the majority of the people were like, well, what's in the vaccine and how did you guys manage to make it so fast? And I feel like when people don't understand the different uh, stages of whatever, like what it takes to make a vaccine, then they're a little puzzled obviously there are some vaccines that took 15 years to make and this one took maybe less than a year you know and that is very alarming but when you see that this pandemic was something that affected the whole world everybody government and private sector united to be able to find the solution fast so usually when you are having clinical trials, you have to jump through a lot of bureaucratic tape. It takes months to approve one little thing. Maybe it take a year to approve a clinical trial that the government will be like, yes, it's okay for you to do it. Now, when the government, the private sector and the medical field all join together and the government is right next to them and said, yes, I approve it right now in one minute rather than approve it you know, in one year or like nine months, And yes, it speeds things up. It also speeds things up when the many, many people are working towards one goal. Now, other vaccines have only been the work of one company or of of a few people that were interested in this disease. And, you know, having more heads is better than one. And having more people working towards that same goal accelerates things because, you know, it's not about competing with that other company. It's about we both want to make a patent. We both want to make a vaccine that works. So we're both going to, you know, piggyback off each other. So I felt like that's something that a lot of people did not understand, especially people in my community that were like, ooh, why would you get the vaccine or something like that? A lot of the times I was like, I'm going to have to get the vaccine because I worked in a university building where there's a lot, a lot of students and they're like, well, it's not in your contract. You shouldn't have to, they shouldn't force you. I'm like they're not forcing me to, I find it necessary. And Then I also started working in the hospital and I thought it was necessary, you know, to to be vaccinated, especially as I work in the emergency department where people are coming in and out all day and we don't know what these people have. You know, we don't know if these people are COVID positive or they're in the last days of being contagious or, you know, they just contracted it and they're just um, incubating it right now. And I feel like the most important thing I took away from having to get a vaccine and still asking other people without a vaccine to wear a mask. I know a lot of people were frustrated with that. We're like, well, if you have a vaccine, why do you want me to wear a mask? Like, are you scared your vaccine isn't going to work? And it's not that. It's not that your vaccine isn't going to work. It's that you're supposed to put on the vaccine and wear a mask for the safety of others. This is a community effort. Even though I may not be getting sick of COVID, I can still carry it your germs if you're not vaccinated and you're not wearing your mask and you're not protecting yourself your germs can be on my clothes and i can guess what i li- i work mostly in the pediatric emergency department i'm fully vaccinated i'm not going to get anyone sick on my own doing but if i was with someone else that was refused to wear their mask or refused to get a vaccine and they had covid and they gave it to me in my clothes and i come in contact with a patient i just infected another person and that is terrible. I think you should put up the vaccine, not just to protect yourself, but to protect your community. And that is something that most people need to see, that it's not about you, it's about everyone else. It's not about protecting yourself because you don't want to catch COVID and die. It's because you care about your community, especially when you are around those disadvantaged and underserved people that will not have the resources to you know, get a ventilator or be in the hospital or be able to pay off those hospital bills. So, it's about protecting everyone else. It's not just about you. This is a community effort. We do it for everyone.
1: Mm -hmm. So, do you feel that? So, the first part you kind of were talking about was that a lot of the concerns were how quickly it was made and what was made in it. So, you feel that if that was addressed along with kind of what the vaccine does, um, do you feel that that would have been a lot more helpful? Because I know right now, There are people who are trying to spread the word and educate the community more on what it's being used for. But there may be some limitations on aspects that could have maybe not been explicitly said. So do you think that if those were informed more about those topics or maybe were there maybe some others that maybe you think that could have been more talked about?
2: Yeah, I feel like number one, it's very important to inform your community about what is going on. I feel like a lot of people become very um, suspicious when you're not, they don't have information, especially when they think that the government is planning something or plotting something against the citizens to try to control them. So when radical people put that in the minds of the millions and millions of Americans that, you know, believe everything they see on the internet, Kind of hard to get back from that, you know. You have to right away be like, you know, we're making this vaccine, and it's not just like we're making this vaccine. And like, look at all the other people that are working with us. It's not just Moderna. It's not just Pfizer. It's like, wow, the government approved of us doing this, and we're doing it faster because they're helping us, and because these other people are helping us. And you know, I feel like they should have been more, a little more transparent about it, because if people knew that many, many companies and many, many different sectors of government were working together to speed up the process, then they would have understood better rather than, oh, it's just Moderna. They're the geniuses. They made this. You know, I feel like a lot of people would have been less suspicious about it. And not only that, you have to take into account that there are some people that no matter what, how much information you give them, they will not believe you and they will still put out their own beliefs out there. So there are some people that were like, well, I don't even know what's in the vaccine or how the vaccine was made or how fast it was made. And I tried to educate them in the most unbiased manner that I could in the most scientific possible way that I could find with facts, statistics and showing them videos, different things. They didn't want to listen. They're like, I don't want to hear that. That's a bunch of crap. Excuse my language, but they're like, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. So if you don't want to hear it, why do you say I don't know anything about it? You don't know anything about it because you don't want to hear about it, you know? Some people are just hard to get to. But other people, I feel like information should have been more widespread. Government should have been more transparent from the beginning so that people could have understood how big this pandemic was. Because I feel like that's the thing that this tells us the most. This vaccine was made so fast because of how big of a problem COVID was. COVID was such a huge problem that people that usually don't work together decided to work together. And a process that usually takes years was done in under a year. Why? Because this virus was destroying lives was, you know, disrupting life in general. And some people didn't take COVID seriously at first. That's why they didn't take the precautions because they didn't realize that it was an issue that needed to be addressed so fast.
0: Definitely. Well said. Well, thank you so much Miriam Eras. Thank you for taking some time to share your perspective and give really thorough answers. I really appreciate how you were able to talk about not only how COVID-19 impacted you, but also the community you grew up in and the students you have to look over. It was really interesting to see how anxiety and depression is playing a huge role due to the isolation that COVID caused. And also the lack of certain resources that are provided to your community in Yuma. I hope that there is something that we can do to change this. And I can't wait to talk to you next time. Thank you all for listening to episode one of The You in Youth.